0: Welcome into TYT's The Conversation. It's your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today I have for you, Mr. Ron Fine. He's a legal director of free speech for people. And so we are here to have him talk a little bit about January 6th on the elections to come. Thanks for joining us, Ron.
1: Oh, Thanks, it's my pleasure.
0: Yes, Ron, so about January 6th and essentially what can be done in terms of those who participated in the insurrection on the Capitol. We know that section three of the 14th amendment it basically can ban anyone who participated in an insurrection from running for office again. How could this possibly be used in terms of those who are involved in the January 6th insurrection?
1: It's a great question, so section three, like the entire 14th Amendment was passed right after the Civil War with the intent of making sure that the political class that had dominated the south before the civil war should never again rise to a position of power. And what it provides is that anyone who took an oath to support the constitution and then engaged in insurrection or a rebellion is forever disqualified from public office, unless Congress specifically votes by two thirds to absolve them. And that's a qualification on Uh, the offices and that includes any federal or in fact state office. Just like you would have to be 25 years old to run for Congress, uh, you would need to not have violated section three of the 14th amendment in order to run for Congress. So state elections officials have the power to exclude a candidate from the ballot who participated in some way in this insurrection, just like they could. If somebody who was, let's say, 17 years old wanted to run for Congress. They could say, no, you don't meet the constitutional qualification. They can do that too.
0: All right. So that definitely sounds like a nice tool to have in the toolbox. But, you know, what needs to be done to classify this as an insurrection? Because there are a lot of people here in the United States who do not consider it an insurrection as much as they see it as, oh, well, you know, it's just a riot or, oh, it was just a little party that got a little overly aggressive. It wasn't necessarily that coup attempt that rise to the level of being an insurrection. So I guess how do we even get there?
1: Well, this was no mere riot or, or protest. This was a, a violent attack on the seat of our government, with the specific intent of subverting the fundamental constitutional process of the peaceful transition of power. But you don't have to take my word for it that it was an insurrection. That's what uh, Senator Mitch McConnell. Who was the Senate majority leader at the time called it. That's what President Trump's own defense lawyer called it in the impeachment proceedings. That's what bipartisan majorities of both houses of Congress have called it in impeachment. That's what Trump's Justice Department called it in prosecuting some of the people who participated. And a Trump appointed, a Trump appointed federal judge has called it an insurrection. So it's not in dispute among serious people that this met any standard for insurrection. This wasn't just a riot.
0: All right, so if it's kind of clear cut, there's no question in terms of what this was on January 6. I guess when you have representatives either running for state or federal office in some way, I guess what would be the next step if someone wanted to exclude a potential candidate?
1: Well, of course, the question depends on the particular candidate and and how much they were involved personally. Uh, And of course, there will be some factual differences between others. Of course, we know a lot about uh, President Trump's involvement and more and more is coming out about others. But the state elections officials, uh, which are secretaries of state in many states or in some cases it's a body called a a board of elections, uh, really have the power to exclude uh, anyone who doesn't meet the qualifications now in some cases there's a process by which citizens can file a a formal challenge Uh, in other cases citizens might might go to court uh, and it varies from state to state but last summer we sent letters to the top elections officials of all 50 states in the district of columbia we had a free speech for people uh, did this and we urged them to get ready because this was coming and we said don't wait for the urgency of an election in order to do your basic legal analysis. And now with our partners at Our Revolution, we are launching that campaign to urge secretaries of state or other top elections officials to do exactly that.
0: All right, so you guys are really behind an effort to ensure that people are held accountable. If they participated in that stop the steal riot rally insurrection, whatever you want to call it on January 6th. And right now we know at least maybe 13 candidates who are running for office at the state or federal level have been identified as being involved in the January 6th insurrection. So I guess, what do you think people are doing now? Because I think we know a lot of who those people are. And the fact that they are running, so has there been a big push? Have people been submitting uh, challenges? What's been going on?
1: Well, of course, our effort is focused on persuading the elections officials to uh, exclude them Uh, and then the the candidacy challenges are are likely to follow. And and some of this will be happening uh, within the next few months as filing deadlines come in, so this is gonna be a very hot topic, very live over the next few months.
0: Yeah, and it'd also be very interesting. I really don't know how often this has ever happened before. Where that section three of the 14th amendment that clause has really been invoked since probably what the civil war. So I'm guessing there's probably not much case law on it. And hey, you know, the courts have already been pretty complicated recently with regard to the events of January 6th to begin with. But in terms of some of these people, for example, there's a man named Mark Middleton who's running for a seat in the Texas House. He had been arrested for obstruction of Congress and assaulting officers, Charles Herbster, a Republican businessman. He's launching his campaign for governor in Nebraska, also Joey Gilbert personal injury attorney He's vying for the Nevada governor seat. These seem to be very significant positions where you had individuals who were essentially looking to overthrow our government by overturning that November 2020 election. So I guess if people wanna get involved and they want to raise their voices, and they also wanna get these people maybe up and out, what should they do?
1: I think if people are interested in learning more about this campaign, they should check out our website either freespeechforpeople.org, or we've set up a special page at 14.3.org that focuses specifically on Section 3 of the Fourteenth Amendment, and we have there uh, examples of, of documents and, and resources, and it will uh, people can sign up and and get involved in that way.
0: This seems to be a very important issue because not only do we want people uh, in positions of power who are ready and fit to lead, but also we don't want them to be insurrectionists trying to organize a coup. Uh, that could be extraordinarily problematic. And so, as people go to your website and they look to start getting involved, is there anything else uh, specific regard to this issue that you think is very important for them to know about?
1: I think what's important for people to do is to step back and, and realize that this is not just a matter of whether you know you don't like a particular politician or their policies or views. This is something that was put in the constitution to protect us from these types of oath breaking insurrectionists and make sure that they don't endanger the country as a whole. Because when you have uh, an insurrectionist in office in a particular congressional district, for example, they're not just endangering the people in that congressional district, they're endangering the entire system. What happened on January 6th almost that, you know, destroyed our democracy.
0: Absolutely, and it's been—it uh, feels like it's been very rocky since then, especially when it comes to accountability. But ensuring that these individuals are not in positions of leadership in our government is extraordinarily important. So, definitely get involved. Check out free speech for people on the website and please do whatever you can to make sure that these individuals are not in any way governing us. And I know that you all are involved in a number of other incredible efforts. Could you speak to some of the things that free speech for people are involved in right now?
1: Thank you. Free Speech for People is a national nonpartisan nonprofit organization and we work on fighting to protect our democracy around the country. Some of the actions we're involved in right now include fighting voter suppression laws that were passed by state legislatures in Arizona and Texas. And we're challenging these as as violating constitutional rights and rights under the Voting Rights Act of, uh, of, of people who wish to exercise their right to vote, particularly voters of color and uh, in addition to that we are working on campaign finance reform to limit the influence of big money in politics and to ensure that those who would overthrow our democracy are held accountable whether they're in power right now or not.
0: Yes, that is so incredibly important, especially as we've seen essentially a war on individuals ability and opportunity to vote. And so if people are looking to get involved, what opportunities do you have for viewers or just everyday citizens who wanna help uplift free speech for people?
1: I think the, the first thing that they can do is, is sign up on our, our website and then they'll be put on our mailing list and then they'll know when their actions taking place. In their area that they can participate in. And, and of course, with respect to this particular campaign about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, they can also check out our revolution uh, if they're interested. And once they're on the mailing list, then we can be in touch with them to say, you know, there's something happening, you know, here near where you live. Uh, it, this is, we're looking for people or something like that. And that, that's the best way to, to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter, FSFP, or on any other social media.
0: Fantastic. And do you all organize marches and um, you know, opportunities, rallies and for people to get together? Do you partner with other groups?
1: We partner with other groups to, to establish things like that. And we are very pleased to be partnering with our revolution in, in this particular section three of the 14th Amendment campaign. But we are always looking to work with allies who are interested in protecting our democracy.
0: All right, and so in terms of moving forward, is there anything you kind of wanna give a shout out to or anything that you're working on in particular that you guys are looking forward to working on as we approach the midterms?
1: This is a dangerous time in some ways, but it's also a time that can be very inspiring in that people who care about protecting and improving our democracy should take heart that there are things that they can do, and I, I can't talk about everything that's um, that's under consideration right now. But if you check out our website, freespeechforpeople.org, or look at some of the lawsuits we have filed and some of the actions that we're going to be taking, there's gonna be a lot happening this year.
0: Fantastic, thank you so, so much for joining us, for uplifting this issue on section three of the 14th amendment that basically bans anyone who participated in the insurrection. Also for leading the effort when it comes to ensuring that individuals who are candidates running for office at the state and federal level who participated in that stop the steal rally are held accountable and are not put in leadership positions. We very, very much appreciate your time and anybody looking to get involved. Please check out the free speech for people website. You can also go find them on Twitter and where can they find you on social media, Ron?
1: Uh, FSFP on Twitter uh, and uh, and similarly free speech for people on Facebook and, and other types of social media.
0: Fantastic, thank you so much, Ron Fine, Legal Director of Free Speech for People. Thank you. And welcome back to TYT's The Conversation I now have for you someone you may recognize. She's the co-creator of The Daily Show, founder of Abortion Access Front, and the host of a new show called Feminist Buzzkills Live. Liz Winstead, thanks for joining us, Liz. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, so I know you've been extremely busy being the founder of Abortion Access Front. And the future of abortion, it's really been at the forefront of many minds nowadays. So let's kind of quickly catch everyone up on where things stand as far as this Texas SB8 law. Can you share with people, you know, that law that bans most abortions after the six weeks of pregnancy and let citizens sue? Where things stand right now?
2: So where things stand is the law went before the Supreme Court in an urgent plea. The Supreme Court ruled that the law could stay in place the six week ban and the sort of bounty hunting piece that you referred to which deputizes anyone anywhere to sue somebody who is helping someone in Texas access an abortion. And so they said though the sort of tiny carve out was that they could sue a few people i.e. Physicians and nurses could sue if somebody tried to take their license away. But that is about it. So what the Supreme Court has done is pave the way for copycat people to create the same kind of laws. We have seen Alabama propose almost an identical law. Ohio's talking about uh, the same kind of law and um, it feels really terrifying. Now the clinics are doing one last move where, Uh, The other sort of sticking point in this was that, Justice Gorsuch said that their ruling had to go to the very conservative circuit court, Mm -hmm. um, if they wanted to appeal it instead of to the initial court that ruled that the law was unconstitutional, which was a state court. The clinics are appealing the Supreme Court to say, why can't this ruling and why wasn't this ruling sent back to the court. Uh, that it came from. So yeah. there's a lot of shenanigans going on with that um, as far as Texas goes. Uh, and then we have Mississippi. Oh, gosh, oh my goodness, it's like all of
0: the hurdles that they're making us jump through just so we can have some say over our body and how we choose to use it. And I know you had said that essentially the Supreme Court has sent it back to the Court of Appeals, uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals. That's the Fifth Circuit there and they are super conservative. So- and. Yeah, and there seems to be an issue in part largely because they're just kind of sitting on it, right?
2: They're just kind of sitting on it and this whole law. And you know, we should all just take pause as to the length with which Republicans in Texas and activists in Texas who crafted this law spent on making sure they could find a loophole that was terrorizing people. You know what this bounty hunting thing does is by deputizing citizens to um, bring charges against people. All it does is have providers and anybody who's trying to help someone access care. Uh, they're just living in fear of a lawsuit. And so, it's not that sorry. It's not that they're going to get sued necessarily but if anybody could at any point it's terrifying. Yeah. And so clinics don't want to provide the care because they're terrified they're going to get sued. A doctor doesn't want that on their record. And then think about folks who you know work in reception at a clinic. Think about folks who aren't doctors, you know, aren't nurses, but are doing this, you know, and they make 20 dollars an hour and they're trying to feed their families. They're terrified to go to work. They're terrified that they might not have a job. And so we have just created this very vulnerable uh, healthcare space where it's, um, it's terrifying that healthcare providers can't even bring you the care they need because they're so terrified. Yes, it
0: has it has an utter chilling effect on people exercising what should be a constitutional right. Yeah. Um, and the fact is, you're absolutely right. Um, they spent all this time finding this loophole, and it really speaks to the lengths that uh, a lot of leadership are willing to go to curb individuals' rights to autonomy and bodily autonomy.
2: And um, they are to just um, terrorize the most vulnerable, you know, poor folks, black and brown folks. People who are literally um, in the world of how society um, doesn't value resources for folks. You know, people who are living in conditions where their water is trash. They're they're living in an environmental crisis. They're living in a reproductive health crisis. They're living in a voting crisis. You know, it's it's just adding so much um, oppression on top of oppression and. You know, as Adam Sir often says, the cruelty is the point. And it really does feel like the cruelty is the point because when you have more people than oppressors, you have to make sure that those people are marginalized and beaten down so that they can't rise up. And that definitely seems to be
0: what they are doing—you um, know, chilling the individuals who actually need the healthcare services as well as the healthcare providers. Yeah. And right now, I know on Monday uh, that abortion providers, abortion providers, went back to the Supreme Court and what they're describing as that long shot bid to challenge Texas's abortion law. And you know, I'd love to hear thoughts on why do you think it's such a long shot?
2: I think it's a long shot because you know what they're trying to do is get. Um, the law out of the hands of the circuit court and back into the hands of the court that brought it, you know, ruled in their favor. You know, Texas is so hellbent on making sure that um, abortion is not going to go into effect. And as they're trying to uh, facilitate some kind of, of place where. People can start giving care again. You know the realities are pretty grim. So when you look at just Texas, right? Uh, it's a it's a state that has about 27 million people of reproductive age. Uh, since this law went into effect, the state of Oklahoma has been um, has been four week waiting period to access care because of Texas. Uh, Louisiana six weeks of waiting period. People if they have the means. Are traveling so as far as Maine to get the care they need. And so what's happening is those with privilege are getting it. Those who are seeking abortion um, and do not have means are having a really hard time accessing the care. And if you look at this Mississippi case that's come down the pike, um, saying that they want instead of the Roe v. Wade, you know, uh, 24 week is sort of this guaranteed constitutional right. Um, the Mississippi case says we want it to be 15 and the justices have clearly indicated they're leaning towards that. Um, 12 states will ban abortion outright when the decision comes down in June, um, with 12 more having lost on the books that will almost totally ban abortion. And we are not prepared for um, the amount of, of, I guess, I guess you'd call it a healthcare desert, for lack of a better way of putting it. We're not prepared for it. And we're not prepared for the links that people are going to go to end pregnancies. Because as we all know, abortions don't end, safe abortions end.
0: No, exactly, yes. And as as you mentioned, we're seeing a lot of other states and the resources that they have become inundated. And there are individuals who can't get safe abortions, but will maybe try anyways. And that just puts people's lives at risk. And it's all for people to feel that they can oppress others. And so, you know, I know you have a background in television and in writing and being a creator. And so you've created this new show called Feminist Buzzkills Live. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Sure. Uh, You know, it's been abortion has been an issue and reproductive care in general has been an issue that hasn't been talked about enough in activist progressive circles. And so we wanted to do a talk show where instead of getting to the point where we're at with Texas, when these bills are introduced, we are talking about them in early stages with experts, with providers, with activists, so that we can actually start conversations early and start squelching some of this stuff before it gets to hair on fire, what do we do? Combine that with you know, some comedy bits, um, it's always fun to poke fun at hypocrisy and then having some music and um some comedians on who are doing really good activist work and also doing performances. It's, a, it's I like to say we're sort of like a more progressive view, and we never, ever, ever will have to do a nationwide search to replace Megan McCain. And I feel really good about that. I feel
0: very good about that too. Uh, <laughs> you know that is a problem that I, I would say no one should have, but ABC, that's their own issue. <laughs> <laughs>
2: On YouTube, go subscribe at the Abortion Access Front YouTube channel. You know, it's a way to get involved, get involved in the chat. And, you know, we drop new episodes at 4 p.m. on Thursdays. And I'm just really excited to have a conversation that's not based in, like, just steeped in pedantic. It's like conversational, but really fact based and passionate. And also gives people a call to action as to how they can get involved. So when you hear what's going on in Texas, tell me more, you'll not only hear the story, how it plays out and can affect where you live if it's not in Texas, and how you can directly help when things are happening in certain places on the ground. And I think that's really key. I think people can feel very helpless. Yes, yes, and giving them
0: essentially the answers, what they can do, as well as some entertainment in the process. That's not a bad thing at all, Liz, I'm a fan of that. Yes. And so, can you remind everybody where they can get a chance to watch and subscribe to Feminist Buzzkills Live and when it is accessible to them so that they can get the information they need to really take a meaningful role when it comes to fighting the abortion battle that is ongoing right now in our court system and across our country?
2: Absolutely. You can find Feminist Buzzkills Live at the Abortion Access Front YouTube channel. Go there, subscribe. It drops at 4 p.m. Eastern every Thursday. And then once it's up, you can just watch it throughout. But um really great guests, really important uh subject matter and also just ways that you don't feel hopeless in a world that sometimes can feel incredibly hopeless. So that is it. Do it. Come join us. It's gonna be fun. And hopefully you'll come on and be one of our guests, ma'am.
0: Oh, I would absolutely love that. Yes, without a doubt. That would be fun. Excellent. Oh my goodness. So many great things. And where can people find you on social media, Liz?
2: They can find me at Liz Winstead, I spell my name with two Zs. So um, on all of the social platforms, you can follow that. And you can follow Abortion Access Front and all the updated news on what's happening in reproductive health, rights and justice at Abortion Front. Wonderful, thank you so much, Liz Winstead. Thanks, Agent.